Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan. I'm Richard Roper. Well, in a recent studies have shown that certain people are genetically predisposed to gaining weight. Someday in the near future, we might even find a cure. Only thing you need to study is your ass. Happy birthday, Nutty Professor. Excuse me? Yes. Oh, you were talking to me for a second there. No, 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 no. The Nutty Professor, the remake, the great Eddie Murphy remake. It's very hard to make a classic better, hmm. and yet Eddie Murphy did. It turns 25. We'll talk about that. And the entire oeuvre, I know that's a very fancy word to oeuvre? use, of actors playing multiple characters in the same film. There's a great tradition of it, and it's a very high wire. Mm-hmm. Many people have tried. Many have failed. A handful have succeeded, so we will talk a little bit about that. Plus, the Thursday Three and what not to watch. But first, let me tell you that Screen Time with Rowan Roper is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, American Eagle has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing, It all drives your business's success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. Show me muscle again. Oh, Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. That's become one of the most iconic lines in cinema in the last 25 years and calling the Nutty Professor cinema, well, yeah. It kind of plays. Yeah. yeah, 25 years ago, The Nutty Professor, uh, tour de force for Eddie Murphy. I do want to do a deep dive into that, but Ro, I want to talk to you a little bit first about the original, which was a Jerry Lewis joint, because mm-hmm. uh, he was the you know the writer, the director, the producer, and of course the star of The Nutty Professor, which came out in the 1960s. And his character, that you know, the, the schlump, the schlub, the nerd, the loser, whatever you want to call him, he had played variations on that character in other movies. The genius of the Nutty Professor was the Jekyll and Hyde update, essentially, where you got the famous character of Buddy Love. You know, I think everybody knows the story of this nerdy guy. He wants to be a hipster, cool guy, and there's magic formula, and all of a sudden he becomes this suave but also arrogant and, uh, you know, cold-hearted uh, guy who, you know, captures the heart of the girl. Stella Stevens was the romantic mm-hmm. lead in the original. And for years, you know, Jerry Lewis uh, had a deal with the stories that Buddy Love was based on Dean Martin. Because Lewis and Martin had broken up. And this suave guy who might not have had, you know, the greatest morals or whatever. Which is not the case with Dean Martin. Uh, and he's he's maintained until his death, Jerry Lewis, that that was not the case. That he had based him on some other people he had met. But wherever it came from, it was a stroke of genius. I think it's probably Jerry Lewis's best work, the original Nutty Professor. Yeah, and Jerry Lewis had some pretty great work throughout his career. Many people of a certain age remember Jerry Lewis just for the telethons, and he was kind of this uh, over-the-top, over-the-hill entertainer type. I would argue, by the way, going back to your initial point of who was the split personality of Buddy Love, I think it was Jerry Lewis himself. Because Jerry Lewis, when he wasn't playing this, you know, nerdy kid or infant or all of these other kinds of clownish stereotypes, he was a very sophisticated guy. He was very smart and uh, you know, he liked the ladies. Yeah, if you actually, you're so right about that because if you see Jerry Lewis, even when he would be hosting the Oscars or something, he was doing that mighty, you know, all yeah. those weird voices and everything. But and I had a chance to meet him a couple of times later in his life. But in you know, in reality, he was a handsome, 
kind of physically, you know, imposing guy uh, who could really, you know, dominate a room with his charisma and, yeah, you know, his ability to attract women. So I think he wanted to play that guy because he wasn't getting a chance to play. That's a, that's a brilliant observation. Now we get the remake, mm -hmm. which I think only Eddie Murphy would have uh, both sides of it as well and the ego and the talent to even take that on. Because when you think about it, as you said, it's like, wow, that's, you know, that ain't remaking the bellhop, you know. That's right. remaking the nutty professor, which had all these, you know, uh, permutations in the split role, and then Eddie Murphy takes on the role. Ah! Oh! Oh! I'm thin! I'm thin! He oh, not only knocks it out of the park, that was Eddie Murphy going the other way. Mm -hmm. He was trying to actually cut against the grain of his suave, good-looking, always the male lead kind of guy in the movie yeah. and then find a way to, as Professor Klump, make himself less attractive and sweet, all about heart, gentle guy, not the badass. So it was really going the other way, right? It's Eddie Murphy, who yeah. really was Buddy Love, finding a way to make himself a human. That's very interesting because, you know, Eddie Murphy has this meteoric rise first on SNL and then he's in 48 Hours and Beverly Hills Cop playing these rebel cops. But they're cool. You know, yeah. they're they're funny, but they're not they're not the butt of jokes. And even his comedy, he was doing these stand up specials. But, you know, there was that that point where he's wearing like, you know, these red leather outfits on stage. He was thinking of himself more as Elvis than Richard Pryor right. at that point. And had become, you know, some people thought, you know, even though he was a huge, huge star, ironically, he had to remind people he could be funny and look silly because he would play silly characters sometimes on SNL. So here comes Sherman Klump. So, of course, instead of just making him a nerd, he makes him a gigantic, morbidly obese, morose nerd mm -hmm. who is a brilliant scientist like the original character but Sherman Klump suffers of course from a terrible lack of confidence and has this thing for Jada Pinkett who sees the good heart in him she's wonderful in this by the she way because she's from almost from the start yeah she's attracted to Buddy a little bit because Buddy's so cool or, you know the, the the hipster version but she always saw something in Sherman even from the start that he didn't see in himself I just had to come over here and introduce myself because I followed your work for many years and I'm a big fan Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm fatter. Uh, flattered. But then Eddie takes it to the next level. Okay, so he's playing Sherman Klump. He's playing his alter ego who now, you know, goes back to the comedy club and dismantles the uh, wisecrack insult comic who's played by Dave Chappelle, by the way. Now, you ain't talking about me enough, boy. I try to be peaceful. But next, it's time for Reggie to karate-side your way. Woo! You guys go too far with the comedy, man. But then he says... You know, and I'm going to play most of my family, just like I did, you know, in Coming to America, where I played everybody and almost everybody in the barbershop and all these other multiple roles. I'm going to play all these different characters. And he's unbelievably good, you know. Yes. And you're watching, you know, the only infamous, you know, dinner scene. It's, it's it, you know, it's, it's just, if not for Blazing Saddles, probably the best flatulence <laughs> scene of all time, but also. You kind of like these characters that he's playing, whether it's the you know the uncle or the mom or whatever the case might be, Hercules, Hercules, and all that stuff. It's become kind of a common conventional wisdom to say he should have been nominated for an Oscar, but he should have for The Nutty Professor. He that really should have. Is one hundred percent true, and they don't nominate comedic performances like that. Although in years past, if you had esteemed British actors playing multiple roles, they might actually get a nomination. Yes. You know, your American actors are. 
definitely not going to get that, even though that yeah. was a huge box office success. Brilliant remake. And a star maker that, not uh, you know, I say star maker. What I mean there is it star cementer yeah. for Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Because he was seen not only just as, you know, a great action star, a great comedic star, all those things that he'd established himself as. But now all of a sudden, you see him as a guy taking on what is an iconic piece of work, making it better, and you're like, oh my God, the guy's a filmmaker. Yeah, it was almost like a, you know his guitar solo where it's like, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know, If everybody in Hollywood, you think you know me, you think you know me from stand-up, you think you know I could play the, you know, the rebel cop who's always getting in the last wisecracking word, you think you know me, watch this, yeah. I can do this, and you, know, you all sit down, and that, that was really a moment for that. I did want to talk a little bit about the you know the history of multi-character performances, Ro. And you mentioned you know there are roles such as like Olivia De Havilland in The Dark Mirror, and uh, Deborah Carr in The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. And if you're you know if you're a film school student, you probably saw Alec Guinness playing a million roles in Kind Hearts and Coronets. And yeah. yes, you know it's it's an impressive feat of acting, especially back in the day where there wasn't a whole lot of trickery they could do. It was costume changes and wardrobe and makeup. And then a double would stiffly stand there, to, you know, in the other costume with their back to the camera. It wasn't until yeah. the Patty Duke show that we finally got some technology, I think. Right. Well, uh, there was a way. They always had the technology. It's to some be way able of doing it, huh? Double film things. By, yeah. Uh, but very but, tedious, but, yes. painstaking process yeah. as opposed to modern technology where it's still very difficult, but it's also seamless and then we you know we get to more of the the modern era i also want to mention though too if you got to go way back i mean charlie chaplin and the great dictator i mean yeah but those are certain sometimes there's roles where they're not really on screen together a lot they're just playing multiple parts peter sellers and dr strangelove then we got to this next level mike myers had a lot of fun of course playing multiple roles in in the austin powers movies but the one that really hit me, Ro, where it felt like the technology had moved on to the next level was Army Hammer playing the Winklevoss twins in The Social Network. Right. That was 2010, so it was filmed in 2009. Army Hammer had done a few things, but honestly, I'm not sure when I watched that film that I did not know he was a twin. I was like, I know I know that actor, but it was so seamless yeah. when they were on screen together. Yeah. And even though they're identical twins, there was a difference in the personality because one was more aggressive and really wanted to go after Mark Zuckerberg. The other was more laid back and talked about the dignity of the family and everything. But there is that line where there's like something like, uh, we're six foot four and 220 pounds, and there's two of us about how intimidating they could be. But it was amazing to see. If you didn't know, if you'd never knew about the technology, you would think for sure, wow, they found two twins to play those twins. If Mark Zuckerberg walked into our dorm room and, and stole our computer, that would be a university I issue. I don't know. This office doesn't handle petty larceny. This isn't petty larceny. This idea is potentially worth millions of dollars. Millions? Yes. That's probably the best performance of its kind ever because I had the exact same reaction. Mm. I think most people who watched that movie had that same reaction. Like, oh my God, they're twins? You would hear about that movie. People would have seen it and go, you know what's really cool about it? It's that one guy playing those two people. Yeah. We didn't really, at that point, know what the movie was going to be or how influential it was going to be and how important it was, not just as a statement on where we were at this pivot moment in society and in culture and in technology, but also in terms of what a great piece of artwork that film is well that's why it was on the top of so many lists of the best films of the 2010s one of the first big great movies uh, and listen army hammer we know he's had a lot of problems he's been sort of canceled lately there's some 
crazy stories about his personal life. If you want to read the Vanity Fair article that came out recently. But in terms of the performance, it's incredible. And there are moments, like whether they're around the table, you know, during the courtroom, off, not in the courtroom, but, you know, debating the legal proceedings where they interact with each other. And again, it's it's amazing because you think they're there with each other and it's one guy. There was a movie row a few years ago called Legend, which, first of all, don't call your movie Legend because everyone's going to think it's about some magical elf that saved the <laughs> princess or some princess that saved the magical yeah. elf or something. You're not legend. wrong about that. You know, Legend. It's like, what is that? Remember Tom Cruise did a movie called Legend. Ooh, that was a bad one. But um, <laughs> Tom Hardy, who's one of our greatest actors, and the people make the comparisons to Brando, and I think he's got the physicality. He was Bane in the, you know, the Dark Knight movies, but other, other lots of great roles. Right. Uh, he plays, it, it was based on the real life story of twin brothers who were British crime bosses, thugs who became crime bosses. And one was this violent psychopath who happened to be gay. The other was going for a more sophisticated approach to the world of crime. And I did not recommend the movie. And I have to say, going back and looking at it, it it's a flawed film. I should have recommended the movie based just on Tom Hardy's performance because they're, when they're side by side in the backseat of the car, and the more sophisticated brother is you know, chastising his brutish brother for getting into another barroom brawl, or there's interactions between them. It's insane. I mean, for, again, the technology scene was, but the performances by Tom, and I say performances by Tom Hardy, Row. Go back, folks, if you haven't seen a movie called Legend, just for the master acting class. I consider myself an incredibly esteemed scholar of cinema. Okay. Because I took a couple classes in Someone college. Someone has to. Yeah. So Dr. Strangelove, obviously, and yeah. The Great Dictator, which we've already mentioned, you know, those are those are the primary pieces of work of that kind of a movie. But my favorite performance ever in this is Dustin Hoffman as Tootsie, which oh, yeah. eventually became Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Because Robin <laughs> Williams saw that and goes, I got to do that now. What's this? <laughs> yeah. uh, but there was something about that particular film. It was so well written. It played that delicate balance of, you know, this guy who, you know, really needed the work, yeah. had to find a way to still work in television and puts on a dress and becomes a woman and then falls in love with another beautiful woman uh, on the soap opera that he is starring yeah, played in. Played by uh, Jessica Lange, who was just so brilliant in that. That's a great choice, too, because, you know, we meet the character of Michael, who's basically like uh, Dustin Hoffman early in his career. In other words, this brilliant actor, but he's having trouble getting work because he's a quirky character actor. He's, he's going to, everyone keeps telling him how great he is, but he's difficult because he had a different way of playing a tomato in a commercial than the director wanted or whatever. So he's kind of near the end of his, you know, his career is going to fizzle out. And then he comes up with this idea uh, to play Dorothy Michaels. And he's so good in this movie that we come to believe we're watching Dorothy's story. Right. And not Michael's story. A lot of the time and There's, rooting for her. We want her to fall in love with Jessica Lange's character. Not so much Michael, the other guy. <laughs> and she actually falls for Dorothy as a friend. She doesn't realize he's a man, you know. Sidney Pollack, the director, performs an amazing trick in this movie. He gives you a number of scenes concurrently in which you just see Dustin Hoffman as the female character. And then she comes home and takes off her wig while she's in her New York flat apartment to right. become the guy again. And you're like, oh my God, oh, I forgot. Yes, You that's have true. that moment. Yeah. And that's that's how good the performance is. That's why I I, I say I like that of all pick. of these, yeah. that is the one that at least it caught me the best. Okay, coming up, the Thursday three and what not to watch. But first, 
Let's talk about Portillo's. Are you hungry? If you're not hungry, you'll be after this commercial. Portillo's known for their famous Chicago hot dogs, all the freshest and tastiest ingredients, right down to the poppy seed bun, and of course, the legendary chocolate cake. But that's just the beginning. The menu bursting with mouth-watering varieties of charbroiled burgers and Italian beef sandwiches, cheese fries, chopped salads, a Chicagoland favorite since 1963. Portillo's also has locations throughout the Midwest and in Florida, California, and Arizona. Order for curbside pickup or delivery today. Ship Portillo's anywhere in the United States of America by ordering at portillos.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Before we get to what you should be watching this weekend, let's talk about what you shouldn't be. What not to watch. Uh, if anybody watched the Wall Street documentary that we talked about a couple of weeks ago on Screen Time, Wall Street, W-A-H-L, it was all about Mark Wahlberg and his various business endeavors and it was set mostly during the pandemic, a re reality series. And during that series, we saw that he was filming this big international thriller called Infinite. And we actually see him on the set when they find out that they're going to have to shut down for a while. And they eventually finish the production. And he talks about, like, this is a great action movie, and I hope people get to see it. The director is Antoine Fuqua, who did Training Day, mm -hmm. Denzel Washington's Oscar-winning role and is a very talented director. So now Infinite is out. It's going to be streaming only. You can look it up on which streaming service and how much you got to pay. The fact that even though theaters are opening and they chose not to put it in theaters tell you that's kind of why it's not to be watched. Which one of these is yours? Look, you could skip the whatever the hell this is because none of that is mine. So in Infinite, Marky Mark plays this guy who keeps having, he's on medication, he's suicidal, and he keeps having these sort of weird flashbacks. And spoiler alert, it turns out that he's a reincarnated spirit, that he has lived other lives. So that's why he's able to make a perfect samurai sword, even though he's never taken any classes or even seen that Forged in Fire reality show. And he has all these amazing fighting abilities, but he doesn't know that he's, you know, this guy that's had all these other lives. And then the secret agency comes and tells him that he's the only chance to save the world because the great actor Chiwetel Ejiofor is also one of these few on Earth that keeps getting reincarnated. But he's tired of being in a Groundhog Day version and he's going to blow up the world so he can be no. put out of his misery. But it's up to Marky Mark to stop him. And it's way more complicated than that. And then it just devolves into, the, even though these people have all these skills and they've learned the wisdom through the centuries, they just have to end up chasing each other in cars and shooting each other with yeah. guns and punching each other. So it's called Infinite. It is infinitely forgettable. It's, it's very well made. And Wahlberg's good. He's always good. Mark Wahlberg's been doing good stuff, you know, solid work, sometimes better than solid work. But I even feel like, again, maybe he had a lot on his mind. There were Wahlberg's restaurants. Some of them were doing better than others. He was doing some new line of clothes. I, you know, I, I, he kind of phones in the performance, you know. Uh, what's with the loop narrative in all these films? Now? Yeah. I don't understand why there are so many films that use that particular conceit. And they keep having to stop the movie basically in its tracks to explain what's going on. So he'll you know, he'll get arrested and then they'll say, what you don't know about your own life is this. And then they'll show him some footage or whatever. Anyway, that's the only one we have for what not to watch. It's okay. uh, you know, the, the, the rotten uh, apple in the bunch. All right. So for the Thursday three, let's start with Loki. And now this is interesting, too, because there is a timeline uh, element to it, but very different. This is a Disney Plus series that people have been dying to see 
Loki, of course, uh, is Tom Hiddleston created this character. I mean, he comes from the comic books, but of course he was Thor's half-brother, step-brother, adopted brother, but, you know, the evil brother, the god of mischief. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that when they first started having Loki in the Marvel Universe movies way back, you know, more than 10 years ago, at least 10 years ago, I don't think they realized what a breakout character he would become, but he just became such a lovable villain because Thomas Hiddleston did this great thing where he could play him as a bumbling buffoon but then have him being capable of Shakespearean evil yeah. and, you know, these great speeches, and he would kill. You know, he wasn't just uh, the, you know, the, the comic relief brother of Thor. He often got the upper hand because he was brilliant. So, now, Loki... Bear with me on this. Yeah. It takes place right after the events of the Avengers. In 2012, remember, there was a moment where there was a scuffle and Loki got control of the Tesseract, the magic, you know, blue cube, and then he disappeared. This picks it up where he falls out of the sky and lands in the Gobi Desert with the cube, and he gets arrested by the TVA, the Time Variance Alliance, <laughs> for violating oh the God. timeline. He's oh, violated yes. the, the the sacred timeline. This is so, what I'm talking about. But this Why is kind of great. Real? They arrest him and they send him to the TVA headquarters, which is this giant bureaucratic thing where they're charged. And it's kind of like commenting on all the Marvel and all the multiverses. This is the organization charged with making sure that everything goes according to plan. And if you step out of line, you're called a variant and you get arrested. And in a brilliant bit of casting, Owen Wilson plays Mobius Mobius, who is a veteran detective with the agency. And he's clearly modeled after Nick Nolte's Jack Cates in 48 Hours, even though this is set in some sort of modern, you know, futuristic parallel world he's got the mustache and the growl and the world weary look and and it's kind of beaten down his job but he's the one that says you know let's not keep this guy arrested he's too interesting i want to study loki and i'll time travel with him and we'll try to stop crimes what could possibly go right so it's it's a comedy with loki at the center it's a it's a buddy cop movie it's a superhero film and because it's it's disney plus and it's the marvel universe you can get cameos from big stars and you can use footage from the other movies it's loki's story and it That's what I find most fascinating about it because we're getting to see a Marvel movie from the point of view of the villain. And, of course, the villain never thinks he's a villain. He thinks there's a reason everything he's done is for a greater purpose. So it's really, really well done. I'm glad to hear this. Yeah, Loki, I think it's going to become a huge hit for Disney+. Plus. It's been a very long day. And I think I've had my fill of idiots in armored suits telling me what to do. So if you don't mind, this is actually your last chance. Now get out of my way. They're good at the huge hits. Yeah, and they've hit you know they've hit a couple of home runs. They had WandaVision and then the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And, and I think what they're doing, which is so smart, is they're taking, I guess you could call secondary characters from the movies and giving them their own timelines. I don't know if people would go see a Loki movie right. as so much as they want to see an entire series because there's a chance that some of the other superheroes might show up. And also that he might get his comeuppance and there might be some more kind of fabric added to the entire, you know, Marvel extended universe. It's brilliant. Isn't that yeah. what they did with Mandalorian? Same thing. Now yeah. all of a sudden yeah. people are clamoring for a Mandalorian movie. Yep, that's true. Number two on the Thursday three. Okay, this is another one that's kind of, you know, we just use that word like meta, but it's also very, you know, kind of insidey. Uh, and the title is Kevin Can F Himself, but that would be <laughs> Kevin Can Fuck Himself. Now, Ro... I think you're going to love the premise of this. And this is an AMC Plus series, so you have to have some sort of premium thing to get this. Mm -hmm. But 
uh, Annie Murphy, who was the daughter on Schitt's Creek, who was yeah. so great in that role. Okay, she is the wife in a classic three-camera network sitcom with the kind of doop, 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 doop music and mm-hmm. then the set, uh, and it's clearly modeled after uh, the King of Queens. But it's it's a, a kind of a sitcom. We had so many of them for so many years where you had the schlubby, irresponsible husband and then the gorgeous wife who was the party pooper and his friends are always hanging around right. and they're always getting into schemes who can make the better chili right. and rivalries with the neighbors and everything. So when we see her, that's what she is. She's the wife in the, and it's, it's shot exactly like a three-camera sitcom. When she walks out the door of the house... It becomes a single camera serious drama. She's the same person, but she's lamenting that she is trapped in this horrible marriage to this man child who wears a Bill Belichick hoodie and is playing video games all the time. And once she's out in the real world, she's in real stories where she gets hooked on drugs and she gets involved with all kinds of other stuff. But then when she walks back through the door, She's in this sitcom. Nobody else. There's one other character who kind of has the same thing. The rest of them are always in the sitcom world. So the look of it changes from King of Queens to Breaking Bad in terms of the tone of the show all within each episode. Even though she knows she's in this, it's not actually a sitcom. It's a sitcom life that she's in with her husband and stuff. So she never says to them, hey, you guys are in a Twilight Zone because that's real too. But we get how she feels. So it's basically if you saw any of these characters, like, you know, the wife, uh, Leah Remini on King of Queens, if she had ever, you know, walked outside that door, we followed her, and all of a sudden she was in a single camera serious drama. That's what Kevin Can Fuck Himself is about. And by the fourth episode, she decides the one way she can get out of this marriage because there's financial problems and her money's tied up and everything is she's going to kill him. So Mm. we'll see what happens there. Kevin and Allison, together forever. I'm just so tired. The world revolves around him. And if it doesn't, he just blows it to hell. It has to stop. Can't stop greatness. Oh, boy. All right. Very... Spoiler alert that we wanted to hear. Yeah, I mean, they, they you know they let you know this in the first you know few minutes of the show and all the promotional materials because if not you'd be like, why is she doing this stupid sitcom? It's like, well, because she's not, even though wow. she is. Yeah. What a cool idea. Isn't that cool? Very layered. It's very cool and layered, but it's also kind of cool that it got made because you could see a lot of people saying, all right, that's a great episode. What are you going to do next? But yeah. they figure out a way to do it. Yeah, and then there would be a lot of executives who would say, well, it's too complicated. People won't be able to yeah. follow it. But obviously, they pulled it off. Yeah, it, the look of it is amazing. And she's great. What a great actress. And yeah. people wanted to see more of her, like everybody from Shit's Creek. You just want to see them doing other stuff. Obviously, yeah. you know, uh, the older folks, the first generation of yeah. Shit's Creek, we've seen them in things for decades. But the kids are excellent. They're all great. Yep. And finally, at number one for the Thursday Three. In the Heights, uh, delayed for... Nearly a year due to the COVID pandemic, but it finally arrives on big screens, also simultaneously available on HBO Max. But I want to urge folks to see this glorious, beautiful, eye-popping, inspirational, fantastic musical on the big screen. Lin-Manuel Miranda, before he ever did Hamilton, had a Broadway triumph within the Heights, which is set in the Washington Heights neighborhood of Upper Manhattan. It's all about the various characters on the block, and there's a gentrification plot line and a heat wave and a couple of romances. And then there's a grandmother character who's, you know, you know, final days. And, Ro, it is just 
beautifully done. The cast is incredible. The director is John M. Chu, who did Crazy Rich Asians and proved in that film that he could show those lavish spectacles. But that was Crazy Rich Asians. Those were all these very, very rich people. What I love about this is they filmed it in the neighborhoods there, the public pool there and everything, and it just opens up the streets. But it's, you know, you see the, you know, the the subway trains and the bridge, the George Washington Bridge and the bodegas and all of the flavor of the neighborhood. So many great songs. Half of them are like great ensemble uh, production numbers. And then there's these beautiful ballads as well. It's called In the Heights. A lot of people saw it on Broadway or in other various stage productions. They've done a brilliant job of bringing it to the big screen. I loved it. It's maybe my favorite movie of the year so far. Because it's just so much darn fun. If I won the lotto tomorrow, well, I know I wouldn't bother going on no spending spree. I pick a business school and pay the entrance fee. And maybe if you're lucky, you'll stay friends with me. You've had now two favorite movies of the year. Listen. Within uh, like two weeks. uh, Well, that's what happens. Now I have a new favorite. (laughs) It's definitely uh, on my top ten list. Uh, Just brilliant performances from a lot of familiar faces and then some exciting newcomers as well big oscar kind of a thing it should be la la land it should be definitely you know it's always interesting because it's an original song if it was already on broadway and they had new songs but uh certainly the production design and and the look of it and uh, the, the film itself i think is definitely a contender Road Rubber Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Screen Time is executive produced by Tim Alanius and Renee Nelson. Brian Altimer is our music and production director. See you next time.